Most of you have come to see your friends or family members get baptized, and we are super excited. But I get to talk to you for a short time just before we invite those that are getting baptized to, um, to come and jump in this awesome pool party down here. You know, recently I was out in America and I had an incredible opportunity to speak at a church out there. But also whilst I was out there, I got time to spend, I had the opportunity to spend some time at our friend's house. Now it was one of their birthdays and so the wider family came round and like any time the relatives gather, the crazy games come out. And so they introduced me to this game called Fishbowl. Now Fishbowl is like a variation of our charades, just slightly different. You get three slips of paper and on the three slips of paper, you all have to write down a name, a place, or an object, and then they all these pieces of paper go into the bowl, and then the game begins, and you pick out the piece of paper. Now, how many know, though we don't really class America as a foreign country, how many know they have different words for the same things that we have, right? So, a can of lemonade is a soda pop, and what we call a cake, they call a pie, and what we call chocolate, they call candy. Well, they're just a few of the obvious ones. But when it comes to names and places and object, I very soon began to realize I had no clue what was on the paper in front of me when it came to my turn to act something out. Though I could read the word in front of me, I had no idea whether it was a car or a train or a person or a place. And, and it was really quite frustrating because though I wanted to join in the game, I really, really struggled. But it got me thinking, how many of us are like that with the Word of God? How many pick up their Bible with great enthusiasm to turn to it and reach into it for its wisdom, to be able to apply it to our lives, to live out our lives differently, only though we read the words on the pages in front of us, we have no clue how to apply it to our life because we have no understanding of how relevant it is or what it actually means to us. Though we are found in the party of church, though many of us serve on team and help out and enjoy the atmosphere, when it comes to applying the Word of God to our lives, we have great difficulty because though we read the words that are scripted on the pages in front of us, we do not know how to apply them to our lives. Though we want to shape our lives around them and we want to understand them, it is so difficult when you have no understanding of the word that is written. The idea of playing a game of charades is that you act out the word that is written before you. And by the way that you act, the people around you can tell what that word is. Do you know that's how it's supposed to be when it comes to the Bible? When it comes to the word of God? When you understand it, you apply it to your life. And by the way that you act and live out your life, the people around you can see biblical truths without you ever having said a word. But how do you apply the word of God if you have no understanding of it? 
You know, part of our job as leaders and teachers within the church is to help you to understand the Word of God and make it applicable and relevant to your life today. Contained within these pages is wisdom on a whole nother level. Contained within the pages of the Word of God are writings that are keys to your freedom, that will set you free from things that have inhibited you and kept you small for so long. Written within the truths of this book are scriptures and a story of salvation. Written in this book is a hope for your future and a plan for your eternal destiny. This book is vital to your life. In Proverbs 4, it says to us, in all your, in all your getting, get understanding understand the word of God don't just read it but understand it because when you understand a thing you get the full benefit of it I do not have the full benefit of my iPhone my kids will tell you I text I make a phone call I do Instagram that's about it yeah, I have friends that can tell the, the um, central heating to come on in their home from their iPhone. You can do so much more. You see, when you understand something fully, you get the full benefit of it. Do you know, working against our lives, whether you have a belief in God or whether you do not, we have a spiritual adversary. His name is the devil. And it is his job, he's alive and he's well, and it is his job to keep you thinking that this book is an old, irrelevant, stuffed up, outdated, no use book in your life. Something that just gets shoved in hotel drawers, something that just gathers dust on a shelf. Because he knows that if you got a full understanding of your Bible you will slay some giants. He knows you will defeat some difficulties in your life. You will overcome some problems and you will begin to live your life with a victorious mindset rather than a victim mentality. So if he can get you to think that the Bible is irrelevant and is of no use in your life today, then he's done a very good job. But it is our job to say, the Word of God is your lifeline. And I want to teach you from that today. I want to talk to you from a small scripture. And I want to help us all to understand it so that every one of us can go away today with a tool in our hand and say, if I apply this to my life, my life can radically change. I want to talk to you about what it is to have blessings in your life. Because I think every person in this room today would say, I want to live a life with blessings on my life. But there's been a great um, misunderstanding of the word blessings. We often associate the word blessing to things. Oh, have you seen the car he drives? How blessed is he? Sally's just moved into the big house on the hill. She's so blessed. But I want to tell you that blessings do not equate to things, luck, fame or fortune. One of the earliest memories of my nana is of her dancing around the kitchen in her pinny, singing, I am blessed, I am blessed. My nan was a little fat round nan, the perfect looking nan. She always had her pinny on and she was always up to her elbows in flour. 
Because she was always, always baking everything. I don't think she even knew Tesco's existed because she baked everything every single day. And she would dance roll, waddle around the kitchen in her pinny with her arms full of flour and she'd sing, I am blessed, I am blessed. Every day of my life, I am blessed. When I wake up in the morning till I lay my head to rest, I am blessed, I am blessed, I am blessed. And she would just, yeah, you think Luke's the only one that can sing, right? And so this was what my nana would do. And she would dance around the kitchen. But you know, as an adult, when I reflect upon her life, she actually came through some of life's greatest traumas. She was pregnant at 16, unmarried in the 1930s, ostracized from her family for bringing shame upon them, criticized by many. She survived the war even when a bomb fell through the roof of her house and blew all the windows out. She knew what it was to carry a child and lose a child. She raised a special needs child in the 1950s when there was not the facilities and the help that we have available to us today. My nana went through cancer and survived cancer. She knew what it was to feel lonely and out of it. She lived a very frugal life, my nana. She's the one who'd make the roast dinner. And then she'd take all the leftover roast dinners and make it into a stew for the rest of the week. And as the stew got lower and lower in the pan, she'd blend it down and add some water and it'd be soup for the following week. And this one meal would go on forever. She was frugal. She certainly didn't have anything in the way of things. There was nothing in her home that you would say, oh, I wish I had that. And yet my memories of her dancing around the kitchen, I am blessed, I am blessed. Every day of my life, I am blessed. Although blessings can mean obtaining things, the true definition of the word is this, to be fortunate, prosperous and favoured by God. To be fortunate, to be prosperous and favoured by God. But you will never know what it is to be favoured by God unless you first know what it is to be unfavoured by man. And you will not know what it is to live a fortunate life until you have experienced some of life's greatest misfortunes. You see, you are blessed when you realise how far you've come despite the stuff you've been through. That's what a blessing is. So I want to take you to Psalm 1 and I want to read the first three verses to you because it talks to us about how to live a blessed life. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This psalm was written by a guy called David. David was a common lad. 
He lived in a common household. He was the youngest of nine boys. His mum died when he was very young. And David's household duty was to shepherd the sheep. He would turn the sheep out to pasture. He would feed the sheep and he'd have to shovel up the sheep dung stuff. And that was his job. That was David's whole life. But the time that he writes this psalm, he's writing from a completely different perspective in his life. He's writing from a position and a place of prominence and success. And what he's doing when he writes this psalm is he's remembering back to how it once was for him and what life used to be like. And now he's acknowledging before God where he is today. It's the ability to succeed over your adversary that produces blessing in your life. Being blessed is not the absence of problems. It's the ability to come through them even stronger. That's what a blessing is. If you think that because you're facing a problem right now or you're in the middle of a difficulty right now that you are not blessed, you are greatly mistaken. You might be facing your worst storm right now. You might be in the middle of your greatest battle, be that relational, be that financial, be it a health battle. You might be right in the middle of your greatest battle right now and feel like the wheel is about to fall off a certain area of your life. Or can I tell you, David, who wrote this psalm, he knew what that felt like. David was the one who should have died. He should have lost everything. David is the guy who got some stuff wrong. David committed adultery. He had an affair. He embarrassed God and he embarrassed himself. David knew tragedy. His best friend was killed. He lost a child. David won some wars and he lost some wars and he made some friends and he lost some friends and he was betrayed by many of his friends. David was ostracized and criticized. David was put outside and he was abandoned and he was forgotten and yet he comes through it all fully aware that God has protected him, provided for him, totally reinstated him and now he calls himself a blessed man. He's not sitting there licking his wounds about what he's been through. He says, I'm a blessed man. So he writes this wisdom down in Psalm 1 for you and I to learn from. He writes this wisdom down about what it is to live a blessed life. So we're going to just break this down really quickly. I want to give you four points because in these three passages of Scripture, David gives us three things not to do and one thing that we ought to do. And I think if we can learn these three principles, it's going to be quite life-changing for many of us. The first thing he says is this. Do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Walking is an action. If you're walking, you're intent on going somewhere. If you're walking, you are pursuing something. And what David is saying here is don't go pursuing. Don't go seeking out. Don't go after ungodly, worldly, secular advice. Don't do it. This is one of those phrases that, should this be a game of charades, it's really easy to read this on the paper, but it's certainly not easy to act out. 
because it is not easy to live your life against the world's flow of normal. What the world says is normal. When you read your Bible, you'll find a common theme throughout it. And the common theme is this. God repeatedly reminds us that though you live in the world, you are not of the world. Though you live in the world, you don't have to think with the mentality like the world thinks because there is another way. There is a kingdom principle. And you'll find this way all throughout Scripture. In Romans 12 too, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. To conform, it means to shape yourself, to be like. You find people that when they're in the church, they're the greatest worshippers. But when they're down the pub, they're the biggest drinkers. You find people that speak a certain way when they attend the church. But then you find them being very vile with their mouth when they're outside the church. Because they're conforming and changing shape to whatever place they happen to be in. If you pour jelly into a mold, it conforms to whatever shape that mold is. And God says, don't be the jelly in the mold. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't conform. Don't be taken in by the world's behaviors and customs and ideologies and opinions. You can be different. Just because the world advocates debt, you don't have to live in debt. Just because the world says, get it now and pay for it in 10 years' time, you don't have to be that person. Just because the world says, bed her before you wed her, you don't have to live that way. It's not a try before you buy system in the kingdom of God. The world wants to scratch the itch that you feel today and make you feel good now in the moment. But I promise you, if you live that way, you will live a life in your future. You will reap regret and debt. And God says, I want to set your life up for longevity. I want to set you up because you see, I have a plan, not for today, but I see the whole of you your life. God's looking at the timeline of your life and he says, I, I've planned longevity for you to live a long and prosperous life. So I want to set you up for a strong marriage and I want to set you up for financial blessing. So don't live in the world's system, in the world's way, but he says, be transformed. Okay, so what does the word transformed mean? A transformation is an inward decision that has an outward appearance. Something happens internally and eventually it shows up externally. It's a little bit like a caterpillar that transforms into a butterfly. A change goes on on the inside and eventually the outside looks different. The caterpillar has always had the wings inside of him, but he has to go through a transformation to get the wings out of him. I, I, I want to ask you a question. Why would you want to stay doing life on your belly when God's put wings in your destiny? Seriously. You see, the caterpillar could say, well, you know what? I'm quite happy with all my caterpillar mates and I don't want to transform. But when you live life crawling on your belly on the ground, you just get one perspective of the ground. But when you grow a pair of wings, you have a whole new perspective of the earth below you. And God says, that is what I've put 
in each and every one of you. And the transformation takes place in your mind. God gave every single one of you the ability to transform. Transformation is not dependable on your age or stage in life. It's not dependable on the... Um, it's not dependent on how your life started out. Whether you started out with a single parent or no parent or two loving parents. No, God has put the ability to transform within each and every one of you. And he even tells us that transformation takes place in here, in your mind. But your ability to transform has a lot to do with the people you surround yourself with. Because you can surround yourself with some people and they, their whole conversation is positive. They edify, they build up, they encourage. Their faith is on a whole nother level. These people see the good in everything and speak the good about everything. These are the people who will help you find your wings. But there are other people that will want to keep you conformed to the ways of this world. They don't speak faith, they just speak the fact. Their conversation isn't up, it's always quite biased down. They are negative they are often gossipers. They are often sowers of discord. These kind of people are consumed with stuff, positions and titles. And these kind of people will keep you crawling on your belly. Transformation takes place by renewing your mind. Change the way you think. Change the way you think and transform your life. Change the way you think. Transform your life. Change the way you think. Transform your life. If you're going to renew your mind, it means that you're going to have to take advice from the right source. Because your mind's like a sponge. And whatever it takes in, it holds on to. You know, have you ever watched TV before you go to bed? And you relive it in your mind while you're trying to go to sleep. The conversations you've had during the day, they're on replay in your mind. What you read, it leaves an impression on your mind. I mean, your mind takes on whatever your mind takes in your life becomes think of it like this you go to university a student but you leave a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher how did that happen you were given the right material to read it fed your mind and it transformed your thinking and you became what your mind took in if you were to study music you'd become a skilled musician not because you were born that way, but because you become what you learn. It's important. Have you ever found yourself talking in a way? I can usually tell who my kids have been hanging out with by the way they speak. Because you don't sound like you. You sound like so-and-so. Have you ever found yourself having an opinion or voicing an, an idea and it's not yours, it's just because the person you've been hanging around speaks that way or is that way? You know, like those people that become vegan or vegetarian and they don't really know why, it's just that the person that they spend the most time with is vegan or vegetarian. And so, so do you know, a couple of, well, anybody that knows my husband, right, if you've been in this church any length of time, you'll know he passionately just dislikes two things proud to say I'm not one of them but he passionately dislikes two things two things one is flying you do not want to fly with Luke he's a bad flying partner he dislikes flying a lot but the other thing that he passionately passionately really dislikes is Ikea and not so long ago well I think it was early late last year 
I'm driving up the M62 past, past the glorious blue building with the beautiful yellow writing because that's all I do is get to view the architecture from the outside these days. And we were driving up the M62 and my then 12-year-old in the back seat went, Ugh, Ikea, we hate that place. I said, Sol, what does Ikea sell? And he went, I have no idea, but we hate it. And I said to Luke, you've set him up. He's 12 and you've set him up for his first domestic. You've caused the first row in his marriage and he's only 12 years old because you've left an impression in his mind and he's no idea why he has that impression. But we pick up things. We pick up these traits in the world all the time. We pick up. And you know what? So many people want to know what God's plan is for their life. So many people want to know what their purpose is in God. So many people want to want to God to speak into their life, but you never want to pick up the book and you never want to read about him and you never want to find out about his character and you don't want to learn about his ways. But unless you start hanging around him, you'll never, ever become like him. You know, the greatest battle is always in your mind because the mind remembers and the mind compares. The mind will remember the things you want to forget and the mind will always compare your life to somebody else's. Do you know that when... Um, um, the brain of a fetus, an unborn child, begins to develop before the mother even knows she's pregnant. It's one of the first organs that begins to take shape. When a child comes into the world, the child enters the world head first. And so when we use this phrase, a born-again Christian, we don't have a physical rebirth, but it's like God presses reset and says, you can't start all over again. And it's going to start with your head like everything else starts with the head. It's going to start in the mind, the way that you think. So we've got to start thinking differently. If you think in your life is sinking, then it is going to go down. So you've got to transform the way that you think because whatever the mind meditates on is the place your life will end up. God says you want a blessed life, then don't conform to this world by adopting its ways, but trust in the one whose thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Trust in the one whose ways are higher than your ways and trust in the one who's seen the end of your life from the very beginning and knows the best possible route forward for you. The second thing that David says to us is he says, don't stand in the way of sinners. This doesn't mean stand in the way like blocking the sinner's path. This is a stance. This is a posture. He says, don't have the same stance as a sinner. In other words, your stance is the way that you would naturally lean. It's the posture you would naturally adopt. You know, several years ago, Luke had a few issues with his lower back and the doctor said to him your posture is wrong you've learned to wait there on one leg more than the other leg and it's going to cause you problems if you don't fix it and so quite often when I see him leaning one way I'll push him or poke him and say you need to straighten up and what this is talking about here our posture is talking about attitudes and behaviors 
You can't ask God to bless your life and take on the same stance and the same posture as those who are far away from God. God says, I will bless your life on condition that when I look upon you, I see a different posture and a different stance and a different attitude to that of the world. Has anyone ever said to you, oh, you're so like your father, or you're so like your granny, and though you may never have even lived with that family member, you have picked up and adopted behaviors and traits and ways that are just like them. Well, the same thing happens to us in the world. You know, we get one hour a week to speak to you from the Word of God, but 24-7 you're surrounded by secular stuff all of the time. And so you can have a posture that leans naturally to being like the world is, to thinking like the world does, to doing what everybody else does. So it's important for you to pick up your Bible and take on a new posture. There are some things in your life that only God can change, but there is plenty in your life that you can change. You can change the way you speak to your wife. You can change that. You can speak, change the language that you use. You can change the places you go. You can change the people you hang out with. These are in your ability to be able to do so, to make the change and not stand, not have the same posture as those who are far away from God. The third thing that David tells us not to do is do not sit in the seat of scoffers. To sit is to settle. It is a position of comfort. A scoffer is a disagreeable person. Some Bible translations say don't sit in the seat of the scornful. A scornful person is a bitter person. So David is saying, hey, don't sit down. Don't get comfortable in the company of bitter or disagreeable people. These people are negative. They point out the worst in everyone and they bring out the worst in you. Their, their conversation is like poison that drips from their lips. They're not smart. They give opinions about everyone and everything. And God says, if you spend time with such people, you will become like such people. And I cannot bless your life. Rejection makes you a bitter person. And we're all going to come up against rejection in our life, whether it's from a spouse or a friend or, or, or a parent or a teacher. Or We're all going to come up against our rejection. But if you don't get better at handling rejection, you will get bitter. And we have to learn what it is to let rejection go. Because if you stay focused on the one who rejected you, you will pull up a seat in the camp of bitterness and it will eat away at you for years. It will ruin you your life. So you've got to let, lower the, let go of the hurt. Let go of the rejection. Let go of that lie. Let go of that pain because it's going to be toxic in your life. Don't be bitter, but get better to live a blessed life. And the fourth and the final thing that David tells us is, is something that we ought to do. He says, do this, do this. He says, delight yourself in the word of God. He goes on to say, meditate on it day and night. Delight yourself in the word of God. Some of you endure reading your Bible and you need to learn to enjoy reading your Bible. It's a book of promises 
and hope and all sorts of good things to benefit and aid and assist your life. You know, Job says in Job 23, Job writes, I treasure your word more than my necessary food. Wow. I don't know if even I could say that. I like my food. But what Job was saying here was, I'd rather hear from your word, God, than have my lunch. I'd rather fill my belly, God. No, I wouldn't. I would. Job was saying, I'd rather fill my spirit, God, than fill my belly right now. God, I'd, I want to lean in from, from your word, God. I'd rather, I'd rather lean in. I'd rather learn from you than order a kebab right now, God. What Job is saying here is, Lord, I could go all day without food, but I could not go a whole day without your word. We live in a day and an age where it is so easy to get the word of God. It is, it is, it is easier now than it ever has been before. You can pick up your Bible. You can download the app. You can put up on a worship conversation. You can join a life group. You can get a good and godly friend. There is so many ways that you can get the word of God. But Job says, I couldn't go a whole day without hearing from your word, God. Oh, that we would be a people with an attitude like that. Instead of just picking up our Bibles when a crisis hits our world. Some of you only pray when the wheel is falling off your life and you're desperate. And then once you've got back together again, you put the word of God away and you don't speak to him again. But meditate on it day and night. What are you thinking of before you go to sleep? You begin to think of the things of God. God's going to bless your life. He goes on to say, when you do this one do, and don't do these three don'ts, you will be like a tree planted by the streams of living water, bringing forth fruit in its due season. A season is the timing of a thing and God's timing is perfect. He knows exactly when to bless your life with fruit. Fruit speaks about the goodness of God when just good things happen in your life. God's timing is not a day too early and it won't be a moment too late. And he goes on to say that your leaves will not wither or fall. Because even if you're not in a fruit bearing season, God says my hand of protection is over you. You don't have to worry about that marriage. Just don't worry about it. Just stop worrying about that health situation. Just, just stop worrying. Because if you do these three do nots and this one do, then my hand of protection is going to sustain you and keep you at all times. If you take your counsel from the right source, and if you take a different stance to that of the world, if you do not settle in the company of bitter and complaining people, but rather take delight in learning the ways of God, here comes the blessing, then everything you do will prosper. Can we just major on the everything? Everything. You know, when I find a parking space in a busy supermarket, I'm like, thank you, God, because that's an everything blessing. As much as 
getting healed is a blessing. As much as having a marriage restored is a blessing. As much as the wayward child getting back on track, as much as getting out of the debt, God is into your everything. And I began to understand when I thought back to my little round nan who had nothing on this earth. She lived to a ripe old age of 94. And in her 94 years, she saw all her five daughters get saved and into the house of God. In her 94 years, she saw them all marry and and godly Christian men. She then saw all eight of her grandchildren get saved into the house of God and all of them marry godly spouses too. She got to live and see all of her 22 great grandchildren being raised in the house of God. That is a blessed life because the carpets and the couch and the car and the curtains, you can't take them with you. So we need to get a perspective shift on what it is to live a blessed life. Why don't we all just take a moment and stand in here. 